Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Recently, I had the extreme honor and privilege of speaking with Guadalupe Denigen. He served 26 years in the United States Marine Corps. While recovering from wounds he sustained by a rocket-propelled grenade blast in Iraq, he was granted citizenship to the United States by President George W. Bush. In this podcast, I am honored to share his experiences of joining the military as a resident alien from Mexico, attempting to become a citizen for decades, sustaining tremendous injuries as a result of a rocket-propelled grenade blast, the bravery and discipline of the Marines who helped preserve his life, his perspective on how to be resilient, and the wisdom he's learned along the way. It is my honor to present to you episode 46 of the Get Up Nation podcast, highlighting the journey of an American hero and a national treasure, Master Gunnery Sergeant Guadalupe Denigen. Also, for those faithful subscribers and followers of the Get Up Nation podcast who are veterans seeking to build a business, I have good news. Ben Baker of YourBrandMarketing.com is teaming up with me to offer veteran entrepreneurs with a free course in how to successfully build your brand. Ben is an expert in personal branding, corporate branding, and brand storytelling. He serves multi-million dollar businesses as they seek to communicate their brand, tell their story, and win customer loyalty. He hosts the Your Living Brand Live show, where prior guests have included legendary business leaders and influencers like Seth Godin. Ben is also the author of Powerful Personal Brands, a hands-on guide to understanding yours. Ben and I know that veterans have some of the most powerful and engaging stories that people can have which has the potential to create businesses that deliver more than just a commodity. That's why it is my honor to partner with Ben to bring to my fellow veterans Ben's course that can help them transition from service member to successful entrepreneur. Email me at getupnationpodcast at gmail.com to learn more. And now, please enjoy episode 46 of the Get Up Nation podcast. Can you tell me what year you enlisted in the Marine Corps? 1978. You enlisted as a resident alien from Mexico, correct? Correct. All right, and what made you want to join the Marines? Why did I want to? Yes. When I was a young kid, probably about four or five, we lived in Mexico, and they have uh, a newspaper, but they're not like America. They're more graphic. And, uh, of course, I couldn't read, but I would always ask my brother what they were talking about. And it was, it was during the Vietnam War, so I always, you know, it was always Marines, Marines, Marines. That was it, you know. I always wanted to be a Marine. And you wound up serving 26 and a half years, right? 26 and a half. Will you share with me what some of your experiences were in joining and, and basic training? What was it like for you as you were finally becoming what you dreamed of becoming? When I went to boot camp, you know, I went to school in, in Arizona. The teachers, they spoke English, but we spoke Spanish to them. So when I went to boot camp, I couldn't, under, I couldn't speak English very well. And, of course, anytime you ask for anything, you know, permission to go to the restroom, 
Uh, if you screw it up, you end up doing exercises. So, you know, did very little talking in boot camp. So it was it was pretty tough for me, but it, it was a lot of fun. As far as the doing things right, but other stuff, it was already done. My, my parents taught me that. Basically, I just needed to learn how to be a Marine. It was a, quite an accomplishment for me, and I was the first one in our family in the U.S. to go to, to the military. So it was it was nice. Parents, I know, were very proud of me. What were some of the jobs you did in the military? My primary job was the tank mechanic. At the beginning, I used to rebuild engines for the M60A1 tank. It was a big diesel engine. I was doing that for about five years. And then uh, I went on independent duty twice, which independent duty is uh, teaching reservists. Went once to uh, Emerald, Texas, and one here in Boise, Idaho. I also did a tour in, on recruiting for three years in Las Vegas. I uh, did a couple of tours in Okinawa, and the rest of the time, uh, I went to school to work on the M1A, which is changed. Before we completed school, we got recalled to go to Iraq. So pretty much, I stayed with tanks my whole time. During this process, you had applied for citizenship multiple times, but it was difficult because every time you would move, it would set you back. Is that right? Correct. It started to submit the application. It was $50, but we never stayed in one place long enough. I know for us back then, it would take years. And by the time they called me or anything else, it was time to move. So we would lose the money. Every time you move to a different place, you had to apply again. Then it was 100 bucks, then 150 bucks, then it, it was 300 bucks. But you know, I always lose the money, so I'm like, the hell with it. And I remember my fellow Marines, they would get pissed off because, hell, I had 20 years in the Marine Corps already, and, and I wasn't a citizen. And they would say, well, why in the hell didn't they make you a citizen? You're already here, you've been 20 years in the Marine Corps. It didn't bother me. Then of course we went back to Iraq. My vehicle got hit with an RPG, and uh, that was pretty much the end of my career. So I spent time on uh, the USS, or the HMS Argus, which is a British hospital ship. Some time in Kuwait, some time in Germany, and then some time in Maryland at the, one of the hospitals up there. At that time, they asked if, uh, if I had any requests, and I told them I wanted my vehicle back, you know, for the training purposes. And then uh, I asked for one of my corporals to get promoted to sergeant meritoriously and then I requested because it was congressmen senators running all over the place so I figured what the hell you know <laughs> but how about the, you know making me a U.S. citizen it was a they come out in the Marine Corps at the time General Hagee he, he's like nope you're not getting the vehicle back and he said about the court getting promoted he said I don't know so I said you know what the hell sorry you're the boss I mean you don't know yeah. so the next day the assistant commandant came down and promoted him to sergeant. And I got all the emails that they flew back and forth about me being a citizen. And it was one of them, hey, Joe, you know, we need, you know, the boss is asking for us to do this and do that. And within three days, they made me a citizen. But I think the funny thing was that, you know, they always say, you know, the, the emperor never knows he's naked and nobody's going to tell him. Well, basically, this was happening. There's so many people in the military that they were residents, but were not U.S. citizens. And even after they got out, they still had to go through the process. So after that, um, President Bush made it so that, you know, if they serve some time in the military, you become a citizen within a few months. That's pretty awesome. So you were hit by an RPG. Will you describe what happened that day? Well, what, what happened is we, we pulled in quite late at night. We were pulling into Basra. And I was with the, uh, what we call a combat train. The main force always is up ahead. The combat train 
can be three kilometers behind or a terrain feature, you know, behind the hill or something like that. And if something happens, the tanks we go up there and we take care of them. You have mechanics for tanks, for trucks. You have armorers. You have everybody. Anybody that you can think of that can support the tanks is in the combat trains. But we pulled up early that morning, and we would put in an intersection. The road was, uh, if you will, a T. And the tanks would come in, and we supplied with ammo, water, fuel, whatever they needed. And we were pretty much at the at the T. We had two vehicles there, myself and the one that belonged to a gunnery sergeant Hellcrow, because we have 50 caliber machine guns on us. So we protected the trainers as the tanks came in. That morning I got up and I I started lubing my vehicle, checking it, do a walk around check. I went over and talked to Gunny Helco for a few minutes. And I came back to my vehicle. Gunny Helco got a call to go recover a tank. So he took off. It was sprinkling that morning and I was wiping down my machine gun. I was facing the tanks, and the, there was an open field behind me. It was probably about 300 meters or so, and then there was houses on the other side. From what I understand, the RPG came from the, from the houses, but it wasn't aimed at me. It was lobbed in. You know, they just kind of aimed it up in the air, hoping to hit something. And the RPGs don't have that long of a range. So basically we got lucky that it hit on top. It hit right behind me about two feet. I had a pigeon that they gave us birds in case there was a chemical attack. The birds would, you know, obviously die. But it hit, it hit the cage and it hit, hit my vehicle. What injuries did you sustain? Oh, God. Um, Brain injury, had a stroke, had spinal leakage, leakage fluid. One of my fingers had to be amputated. I lost part of my thumb, had a broken leg, had fragments all over my body, pretty much. Mm, lost my hearing. That's about it. How did you get medevaced? Did some Marines help you? Well, what happened was when he hit on top, afterwards I was talking to Corporal Rugg and Sergeant Percy. And they were telling me that it sounded like ball bearings bouncing around on the inside. And um, Corporal Rugg had both of his legs broken. So what he did, he had to climb out, you know, from the top of the vehicle. Right along the, the middle of the vehicle, there's like a little, little walkway, if you will. But it's just about an 80-inch lip. And, you know, he with his, just using his upper body, he kind of crawled around the vehicle. And at one point, he had to jump off. And he had, to, obviously, when you have broken legs, you know, your body's still telling you to land on your legs, you know, on your feet. So he jumped, and what happened was the, the bones kind of crossed, I guess you can say. He was in real bad shape. He lost a leg from that one. Sergeant Percy was, was laying down, he, and he got um, some fragments in his uh, abdomen. From what, like, from what I remember. And I think that was it for him. And then one of the sergeants from Motor Transport, because everybody pretty much, you know, 
heard the explosion. Everybody was asleep. He ran over to the vehicle, and he was the one that pulled me out. I see. Who issued you your Purple Heart? The, the commandant did, General Hagee. Who notified you mm -hmm. that, that you were being granted citizenship? The hospital is considered a ship. The captain of the ship, the colonel, she came over, and, she, and I was supposed to leave on, like, on a Thursday or a Wednesday, something like that. And I was ready to go home. She told my sister, tell your brother he can't leave, you know, until Friday. And my sister like, hell no, you tell him. He wants to leave now. So they they managed to keep me until Friday. And it was kind of like a surprise. It's myself and, and they became citizens that day. And you know what was funny is that they were not waiting for us to come in wounded. You know, they, uh, they thought it was going to be kind of like Desert Storm. We go in there and come back out. But... I couldn't hear anything, and what they did is the lady told me from uh, the EMT, the, you know, the hearing section, that she had to go through a desk drawer and find some hearing aids. One was black and the other one was uh, a tan colored, and they kind of half-assed programmed them so that I could hear something. It was pretty funny. But I finally asked my sister what, what the hell was going on, and they, she told me that, you know, the president was coming down. What was it like seeing the president come into your hospital room? I mean, you got to remember, there was all kinds of congressmen running around there. Um, there was uh, the commandant, former commandants of the Marine Corps. There was all kinds of important people running around there. And then, you know, seeing him was great. But I, di I didn't think, you know, he, he would take the time to come down or something like that. I mean, for me, you know, like, what the hell? Were you able to hear what he said to you at that time? I could hear some, yes, a little bit, but but it, it got to the point where um, Mr. Aguirre, he was the head of uh, the immigration at the time, I guess. You know, they, they when they read the oath, I, I asked him. I said, "Look, I can't hear you well enough to, to repeat it after you." I said, "Why don't you just let me read it?" So, the, you know, it's supposed to be administered to you, but I read the the, the paper, and it was easier that way. Your request for promotion for your fellow Marine. So they did wind up promoting him. Yes, he got promoted by. Uh, did he ever know that you requested that for him? Yes. Did you guys talk about that? No. No, I didn't. I, I just did things. I didn't, you know, I, I just did what I, what I thought was right. Because basically what was going to happen, although my mind was pretty screwed up and it still is, don't remember things and stuff like that, but I know that with injuries like his, they would retire him. And he would get a little bit more if he got retired as a sergeant. That makes sense. After this, President Bush made a speech, and he mentioned your name. Were you present for that speech? No, I wasn't. I think it was the press secretary or somebody. They they called me when I was living in Twenty Nine Palms, and she told me that that the, the president wanted to do a speech and use my name, blah blah. blah and she's like, "Give me your social security number." I'm like, "I don't even know who the hell you are." <laughs> I'm not giving you my social security number. <laughs> you know, so she, so, so she had to, you know, she had to prove to me that she was who she was, and and then we, uh, she did an interview, and I, and I told her, I told her, I said, it's a president, he can do whatever he wants, he's going to ask me for permission. You've described how you thought it was the ultimate to be a United States citizen and that being a citizen is like being granted keys to the country. Will you share why it's so precious for you to be able to say that you are a citizen of the United States of America? Well, for, for one, 
whole thing. You know, it uh, it opens so many doors for you. It's hard to describe. You try to do the right thing. Never got in trouble with the law, anything like that. Serve all the time in the military. And then you see all these people running around there are citizens taking this country for granted. You know, to me, it was uh, like a waste. They not knowing what what it means to be a citizen. You know, when when they made me a citizen, it was the, the keys to the world, you know. It was awesome. You know, so I just can't describe it. During everything that you endured, how did you stay resilient? My father had a lot to do with it. He had a real heavy wheelbarrow push around, you know, feeding us and everything else. He never complained. And he always worked his ass off. And, and we were never in need of any. You know, we had a roof, we had food. Um, that's what you did. You, you did what needed to be done. You didn't have to be asked to do it. You knew it had to be done. You just do it. You know, and to complain, nobody cares. And he told me when they joined the Marine Corps, he said, just keep your mouth shut and do what they tell you to do. And that was the best advice he ever gave me. I remember a young sergeant, his name was uh, Renfro. He used to hate TV coming because all I did was ask questions. What is this for? What does this do? How does that work? You know, but that's how I learned the engine so well. They got to the point where I could pretty much do in my sleep. But it was people like him that helped, you know, and like I said, you just do the right thing. It, to me, it was, a, it was a job, the easiest job I ever had. It didn't matter how much people complained. I was getting paid. It didn't matter what kind of any job he had, he was getting paid. The pain and do that job, so you do it. And that's the way I saw it. Think about it. We didn't have free medical. You know, here they were taking care of you. You get hurt, they fix you. So it was pretty awesome. How have you seen your experiences in leadership affect others? You know, I always told people that there's people that are going to stay in the Marine Corps because of you, and there's people that are going to leave because of you. I didn't have to get up in front of anybody and yell at them or anything. Just tell them what needed to be done, and they did it. And that's, I think that's what they like. Very seldom would I yell or anything, I just talk to people. When I, was a, when I was growing up in the Marine Corps, when I first went in, there was a lot of Vietnam vets. And they got things done by yelling, you know, in intimidation. And I didn't like that because I felt I was a grown man. You don't have to yell at me. So I, I treated my Marines that way. You know, and I, I think a lot of them did the same thing. They just asked. I didn't tell my Marines to do that. Hey, do me a favor. Get this done. And it went a long way. I treated people the way I wanted to get treated. What is life like for you now? Mm. It's, it's kind of lonely. It, it's good, but lonely. No, um, because I can't hear, I don't talk to a lot of people. Um, because I can't hear, I work and talk. Most of the things I, I have to do by myself. Because I, the head injury makes me swear a lot, excessively. And of course, you can't wear your hearing aids when you're sweating excessively. So you, you can't do things with other people. Whether it be hunting, uh, working, walking, you know, it's the same thing. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time on myself. But you know, it, when you look at the options, you know, it was really sucked to push daisies right about now. I'm good to go. I live out of, uh, I don't like the city. I, it, it makes me anxious. I have a uh, real nice house, two acres of land. Got some cows, pigs, chickens. I just gave my two horses to a, 
a good uh, Marine friend of mine that retired, Ray Anderson. He lives up in Montana. He's a cowboy. So I gave him my horses. And uh, I have these animals because they, they make me get up in the morning. If I didn't have a reason to get up, I wouldn't. Would you care to comment on anything in your life that you've hoped for or that you've kept faith for? I don't believe in luck. You know, you can put hope in one hand and the other, put them together, you still get, you know, <laughs> you, you go with what you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you, you, make your, you make your hope. You make your future. Don't wait and then hope that something drops from the sky into your lap. There's a lot of conflict in the United States today. As somebody who values their citizenship so much, do you have any thoughts about what you're hoping for for our nation? It's never going to happen. Um, there's too much money involved in war. It's heartbreaking because you know so many young lives being lost that people don't appreciate. I guess I guess hope. This is where hope comes in. You know, it, uh, I, I just hope not too many more people die. You know, it's, it's just a terrible. Thing. But we know it, it's going to continue to happen. Like I said, wars, wars mean money. Are there people that you're thankful for today? I am thankful for all my troops. And everybody that, that I worked with, there was good and there was bad, but I learned from them. But if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in the position that I am in today, or I wouldn't have gotten up as far up the ladder if it wasn't for their work. But it goes back to you treat people right, and they do the right thing. They make you look good, you know, and you help them out and make them look good. And I'm thankful for all of them. They all had a piece of the pie when they came to helping me. And now that we've talked about who you're thankful for, what are you thankful for today? I'm thankful for getting up in the morning with my wife, my kids. we got two sons that are Marines. So I get to talk to them. In a position where most people don't know what their kids went through, they can't talk about it. I can talk to my kids. Uh, my wife, she uh, she's patient. She knows that I am in a lot of in a lot of pain all the time. She knows that I have you know good days and bad. Well, I always say there's bad days and worse days, and she understands that. So um, I get angry a lot, so she puts up with that. So I'm very grateful for her, you know, my parents raising us the way they did. We didn't have much, but we didn't need much. But they taught us the important things in life as far as the attention to detail, how to work, how to treat other people. My, my father didn't have anything, but he would give everything away if you needed it. If everybody, you know, doctors, nurses, you got to be thankful for everybody. You know, people like yourself, you know, taking the time to take to write down a story. You know, for people to understand. You know, you gotta give thanks to that. And is there anything that you want to be understood about your life or your sacrifice or anything at all? What would you like people to understand? That everybody has to pay their dues. You know, be grateful for what you have here in the United States. Pay your dues. Nothing's for free. I went in with a mentality that, you know, I, I didn't know that the Marine Corps had tanks or planes or none of that stuff. I thought I was going to be infantry. Became a mechanic. But I wanted to go into the military also because we had the opportunity to come in to this country. You can't say, send somebody else to war. Somebody has to pay the dues for that family. So my sister and I, we both joined the military, and we figured we'd pay the dues 
for her family. What branch did your sister join? The Air Force. She retired after 26 years. What's one thing that motivates you or fires you up today that gets you excited about life? Knowing that people are doing well, became successful. That's awesome. You know, I have some of my Marines that became officers. That was great. You know, I even worked for some of them. They worked for me at one time. They became officers and I worked for them. I remember one of a Colonel Mancini, good man, he asked me one time, he says, how do you feel about working for him? And I told him, sir, I never f***ed him. We're good, you know. So I worked for them. They moved up the ladder. It was great. They invited me to their promotion. It was awesome, you know. What's one thing that adversity has taught you to value? Liberty. Let, let me explain to you that in my house, everybody used to stop by and we used to talk about everything. We used to solve the world's problems in the garage. And uh, when I came back from from the, from the war, you know, injured, I had two friends come over. They were uh, Vietnam veterans. Between the two of them, they had, uh, I think it was six Purple Hearts. And they were there just to visit, ask questions. They were just probing to see how my mind was. And I told them, you know, how, how I felt. You know, my mind was wondering this, that, and the other. And they, they, you know, they were the ones telling me, that's normal. You know, you got hurt, but, but that's normal. That's normal. Everything in the emotions, that's normal. Because they went through it. That helped a lot. It's unfortunate that some of our Marines, they get wounded, they get sent home. To people that don't understand what the hell they saw, they had been through. And by me staying in 29 Palms afterwards, my friends would come and visit. They know I can't hear, so they would talk louder. You know, if I can't see them, if I can't see your face, I can't understand what you're saying. So they knew that. They knew that because I had the stroke, my my words would come out screwed up sometimes, but they knew what I was saying. They never made fun of me or laughed at me or anything. They, they just went along with it. So that helped a lot. Is there anything you're doing today that you never thought you could? No, I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed. <laughs> if I want to do something, I do it, and and I make it happen. My father came to visit me when I was in California, you know, to make sure I was okay. I had friends there. He was in his 70s, and he was disabled when he was in his 40s. So he was all screwed up. But he asked me, he says, what do you need done? I said, I need to run a water line from here to here. He got out there with a the shovel. He started digging, you know. The guys were sitting in the garage, having a beer. They're like, oh, thank you, go help the old man. They came back five minutes later. And that old pastor, he just works his ass off. You know, he keeps going and going. Like, you put your mind to something, you can make anything happen. You know, it's crazy how that works. What are your plans for the future? Try to stay alive. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I do... Uh, I don't do a whole bunch, but I do a bunch. I'm not leaving my kids any money, but I'm, I'm going to leave behind knowledge. You know, if they have the time to come up to spend time here, the grandkids, all that, I'll teach them something. Like like right now, you know, I've got some pigs that I'm raising. It's, it's for them. They, they pay for the butchery and they come up and get it. You know, and but at least they, they learn where pigs come from. You know, they, not, they can't be totally ignorant like some other people teach. I like to teach. Is there anything else you'd like to share with me that you think is important or meaningful? 
You know, it's, it's all about friends and family. And I'm not big on faith, but it helps people. So it, it, that's what helps you, you know, go with it. Treat people right. Take care of your family. Take care of your friends. Stay in touch with them. Nothing's forever. You know, if you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. Never wait until somebody's dead to tell them that you love them. Don't, don't take flowers to somebody that's dead. Give them flowers for us still alive. Don't waste time. Time's too precious. Enjoy life. Live life, life like it was your last day, because you never know. It's an absolute honor to talk with you, and I appreciate you taking time today to speak with me. It's my pleasure. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Take ha- care of yourself, and uh, thanks for everything you said. It is an honor to bring you the Get Up Nation podcast. From Adam Greenberg rising from the ashes of a traumatic brain injury to get one at bat at Marlins Park after seven years of struggle. To Guadalupe Denigen, living out his days in freedom as he reflects upon a life of service. To all of those who have shared their journey with me here, thank you. Meet with me again soon on episode 47 of the Get Up Nation podcast.